I'm going to continue to teach about the kingdom of God. Uh, specifically, this morning, I'm going to talk about the keys to the kingdom. And in this series, we're looking at uh, life through the larger lens so we can see the bigger picture, not only of our life, but also of eternity. I don't know how many of you have ever flown. I, I'm always amazed, you know, just because growing up uh, with my mom being in a... Uh, 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 someone who was a manager of travel agencies and who traveled the world, you know, I, I take it for granted that, uh, that uh, you know, I've traveled and, and been up in airplanes and I'm, I'm sometimes, you know, amazed when I encounter someone who's never been up in an airplane, you know, never, never flown in a plane. I think of Jim Askren a few years ago, we went down to Dallas and, and uh, Jim's not an elderly man, but he's not a spring chicken anymore. And, and Jim said, you know, hey, I've never, this is my, my first flight that, that I'll ever have. And, and what a thrill that was and, and what a different perspective. And when we, we, we look uh, at, you know, down upon the earth and the beauty of creation at 35,000 feet or 15,000 feet, the view or the perspective is much larger and broader than it is here on the ground. And that's what happens when we start to understand and look at the subject matter of the kingdom of God. Then God gets much broader and bigger and we see things more clearly. And, and that's my prayer for us as we, as we look at these various texts. Uh, I also want to bring to your remembrance that the first message of Jesus was about the kingdom of God. Uh, one, uh, the apostle's uh, first messages was, uh, was about the kingdom. John the Baptist's first message was about the kingdom. And so these are, these are things that I, I think we need to be aware of also. Jesus said in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was his first message. A few sentences, it was a it was a cry, it was a desire, it was an invitation, it was a culmination of all of that. But it, it was uh, an opportunity for people to be involved in something that was much larger and bigger than themselves. And, and it, it, was, it was giving them a platform that they could step onto to see the bigger picture in life. So uh, one more thing that I need to uh, remind you about is it was the message of the kingdom that probably was the most controversial message that Jesus preached. It was the most threatening message to those that were in governance or in authority at the time. And I want you to follow this line of thinking with me for a moment. The message of love is, is a message of the Gospels. And, and we can never take that out of the Gospels because God is love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The first and the greatest commandment is love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love is a very important aspect of the message of Scripture. And Jesus is love in manifestation because Jesus is God in the flesh. So when he was healing people, he was demonstrating love. When he was delivering people, it was a manifestation of love. Uh, but it was, also, it was also a picture of how kingdom life is supposed to be experienced and, and how we are, when we're impacted by the bigger picture, it enlarges us. And in enlarging us, we become more free 
At one time, we may have been bound or restricted, but now we're loosed and we're let go. And that is going to be something that, that is, is so vitally important for us to see this morning. And the, the text that I'm going to take has been one that has been used uh, historically in the church uh, as one that it primarily deals with uh, dealing with the forces of darkness or, or having governance or authority over the, the forces of darkness. So before I read that text, I, I want to prepare you that I, I'm probably going to cause a few of your heads to tilt this morning. And uh, I, I believe that we have authority over all the power of the enemy. Jesus has given that unto us. And, and that the enemy is subject to us uh, when we're properly seated and in relationship and aligned with Christ, then no weapon formed against us would prosper. I, I adhere to that. But the text that I'm going to take this morning isn't primarily talking about us having power or governance over the forces of darkness as much as it is is the responsibility and the privilege that we have of going out and helping those that have been bound by sin and the law to get loosed and so that they can be free in Christ and enjoy the life that Jesus came to bring them. Because Jesus said, I have come. And so there's a, there's a pretty strong statement. I have come. This is the intent, the purpose for which I am here present among you is that you may have life and life more abundantly. And uh, so as, as Jesus was, was preaching on the kingdom of God, it was a threat to those that were in authority. Now, the reason that I use love as an example is because I am not quite done with it. Is because if Jesus primary message was love, then he would have been no threat to the Roman government. The Roman government would have probably endorsed him and, and would have said unto the Jewish people, you, you need to follow this rabbi. You need to follow your own teacher. And you need to love us. Even if you esteem us as your enemy, you should love us. We're not going to crucify Jesus for preaching to people that they should love the authority that's over them. They should pray for the authority that's over them. They should forgive people that do them wrong. That would only make our governance and our, our ability to have legislation or to have power or authority over these people even easier. If these people are compliant and just giving place to love, then these people are going to not be our enemies. These people are going to be our allies. They're no threat to us. But what's threatening is, when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, my kingdom is coming, my kingdom will rule and reign, my kingdom is a kingdom that has no end, my kingdom is greater than your kingdom, then everybody gets a little territorial and threatened. Everybody has space. Everybody has areas that they like to be in charge of. Everyone likes to have a degree of control without exception. Those in, in government, parents like to have a, a sense of of, you know, uh, like uh, control, employers, uh, everyone. Ha, ha, you know, we have these expectations that, uh, that we have a sense of, of, uh, of privilege or of right uh, or have earned these things. And when Jesus comes and he says, hey, I, I, you know, I, I don't not, I'm not meaning to upset your apple cart, but I'm going to upset your apple cart is that there's a big difference between your kingdom and my kingdom, between your ways and my ways, between 
the way that you would govern than the way that I would govern. And, and they're like, wow, I mean, here's this guy and, and he's, he's proclaiming himself as a ruler, as a king. And, uh, so we have to get rid of him. The message of the kingdom was the, was the most controversial message that Jesus preached. And it was the most misunderstood message. Let me go back to the, to the example of love. Everyone knows, everyone and understands and, and would agree with that, yes, we need to love. No one would disagree with that. But without God placing his love in our heart, then we're probably not going to love the way God has asked us to love. We, we might have feelings or affections for people, but we're not going to love them without any qualifiers. And that's the kind of love that God asks us to display towards people. No qualifiers, just love people, love them. We can't do that until we encounter that love ourselves. And once we have encountered that love, then we can give that love and display that love and show that love to others. Well, how are we going to encounter the love of God? Let me ask it this way. How are we going to encounter God? Because God is love. Then we're going to have to, we're going to have to open up our heart to His ways, to the way He rules, to the way He reigns, to the way He governs. In other words, we're going to have to open up our life to His Lordship and we're going to have to let go of us trying to control and always governing and always being in charge. And we're going to have to allow him to govern and to be in charge and to be in control. And that's where the conflict starts with all of us. Is that at times we want all of the blessings and the provision of the kingdom. But we just want God to leave us alone and let us still be in charge and control and have a sense of governance. So there is this, this rub that, that happens in each and every one of us. And the reason that is, is because the greatest act of the human will is to submit to someone even when you don't understand why. It's called trust in the Bible. Even though I don't understand, Lord, I will trust in you. I will yield to you. I will follow you. This is the greatest, greatest act of the human will is to bend towards God when we have a tendency just to bend to what we want to do. So I asked last week, you know, what is the kingdom? The broad picture is the rule of our God eternally, our sovereign God ruling all over all of creation. But we also talked about it specifically and individually. It's God ruling and reigning in the hearts, the minds, and the body of those who have really submitted or yielded their will to God's authority and to God's sovereignty. And then there is this future implication of the kingdom, and it means that God will rule and reign forever and ever. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and he will be uh, in the kingdoms of our our, our God uh, will will govern all the kingdoms that have ever ruled and reigned. So uh, when I talked last week about yours is the kingdom, uh, I want you to understand that God's kingdom and man's kingdom, uh, they're, they're just not the same. Uh, we have to keep in mind that God's kingdom is eternal. Man's ways and, and man's reign or, or man's rule is always temporal. A, a quick look at history reminds us that God's kingdom versus man's kingdom 
cannot be compared. They're not apples to apples or oranges to oranges. There's no parallels. There's, there's nothing in common with them. And, and I'll give you a few ex- examples. The Egyptian rule or, or its empire with, with Pharaoh uh, was, was a dominant force, but it, it's no longer present on the earth. It, it's not active. You can't find it. It's, it's run its course. It's run its day. And, and it's over. What about the Babylonian Empire and Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar one day was on his balcony, and Daniel tells the story of, of this king that looked out over his kingdom, and, and, and he said, you know, uh, I, I am, I'm just like God. I am just like God. I'm in control. I'm in charge. I'm in governance. And, and the moment that, that he, he thought that he could compare his rule and reign to God's rule and reign, uh, scripture says that he lost his mind and for seven years that he was in the wilderness or, and he ate, he ate the grass of the fields just like an ox would eat the grass of the field and his fingernails grew uber long like, and he just, you know, grew hair all over until the day that he repented and changed his mind and realized that God was the sovereign God over all of creation. So the Babylonian empire came and it went. Uh, Nebuch- uh, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, uh, you know, sort of learned the lesson the hard way. The Medes and the Persians. Uh, Cyrus thought that, that there was no greater king that had ever lived or who would ever live than himself. And yet the Medes and the Persians have gone the way of the sunset. And then, of course, Caesar in the Roman Empire. Uh, the Caesars thought that there's, there's, the Romans thought that they, they were the greatest and largest and most dominant empire that, that ever were. There's been other leaders, you know, throughout, throughout history that have come and gone. And, and here's the spiritual and the, and the biblical truth. The glory of man is like the grass of the field. It has its season, but it's not eternal. But God's glory is eternal. Big picture. God rules and reigns over all the nations. And God's kingdom will be a kingdom that rules over all of mankind, whoever has lived, who's living now, and whoever will live. His rule and reign will be over all, whoever have lived, are living, or will ever live. Over every king and every kingdom that ever has been, is, or will be, every knee will bow Every tongue will confess to the Lordship of Jesus. There is no other king like King Jesus. There is no one you can compare him to. There's no one likened unto him. And there's no kingdom like his kingdom. And his rule and reign in our life is what we should be striving for and pressing into and desiring. Because it's not just a work that he does spiritually, even though that's its origins, it's a work that impacts the way that we think about ourselves. It removes the, the hostility that we have in our, in our mind and the animosity that we have at God. It, it curbs the anger and the angst that we, we get by blaming Him, by accusing Him, by pointing our finger at Him. We, we lose the accusational tone when His kingdom rules and reigns in our heart because we gain something that our mind needs desperately in order to let go of control, and that's understanding. We understand the big picture, and we say this, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for questioning you. I'm sorry for getting angry at you. I'm sorry for accusing you. I'm sorry for blaming you. 
Yours is the kingdom. It also impacts your your physical health. Because when you receive the engrafted word with meekness, that's humility, with a sense of brokenness and dependency, then there's something transformational that begins to happen physically in your body. I'm not saying that that all sickness and and all disease is the result of, of, uh, you know, personal sin. But I am saying that all sin and disease is the result of original sin. And that it it came into the world. And, And sin is our enemy. And when we realize who Jesus is and why he came and we allow him to rule and reign, then we no longer view God as adversarial in our life, like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you permitting this? Why don't you intervene? When are you going to answer my prayers? Why haven't you done this? And we begin to understand that we have to allow him to root out all of the impacts of sin in our soul. All of the things that the the wrong conclusions that it's brought us to. And that's why the the kingdom is progressively invasive into the human life. First in the heart and then in the mind and then into the body. And uh, so Jesus in his teaching that didn't want us to be concerned or fretful or worried about anything. And so he said, hey, I, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. Then secondly, when the disciples were asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray he taught them about the kingdom. He said, I, I want you to pray in this way or like it in this way. Your kingdom come. And then the next phrase is, is your will be done. And then compare that on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, things in heaven, we, we wouldn't question God's rule and reign in heaven, would we? I mean, he who sits on the throne, would, would he govern the city of God? Of course he would govern the city of God. What he's saying is that, You can have a little bit of heaven here on the earth when you let God govern your life. And all of us must come to the place that we wrestle with this question. Is Jesus our Savior or have I allowed him to be my Lord? Do I just want the forgiveness of my sins or do I want the invasion of the kingdom into my life to where he rules and reigns in every aspect? He helps me with my relationships. He helps me with my finances. He helps in, in governance and oversight and control of my attitude and actions. Uh, he gets the glory when, when uh, you know, no matter what. And uh, he gets dependent on in times of testing and trial. He, he is the one that I rely on, look unto, depend upon, and trust in. And uh, I, I'm not going to split hairs Because doctrinally, I I do believe when someone really confesses and believes that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and acknowledges that, they are, in that moment, they have entered into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is now entered into them. And now it's a matter of letting him rule and reign in their life. Um, So, with... With those, those things sort of fresh in your memory now, the kingdom of God 
is both countercultural and contrary to human reasoning and cannot be understood through the physical senses. When I say countercultural, it's different than the kingdoms of this world. It's different than culture. Jesus didn't come to bring a cultural revolution. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. And if people receive the kingdom, it changes the way that they live within the current culture that they're, they're a part of. They live in the current culture, but they live according to the kingdom. The Apostle Paul, uh, uh, John put it this way. You're in the world, not of the world. You're here. You're presently in your culture. You have to understand your culture, but you don't have to be conformed to your culture. You can be conformed to the image of Christ. So your life is countercultural. The culture says this is what's acceptable, but the, the culture is temporal. The kingdom is eternal. So I, I, I'm saying that I'm going to base my life on something that's much more substantial and something that's more solid than something that's sandy or temporal. So you're and I are faced with, with pressure to conform to the culture, to agree with the culture, to comply with the culture, you know, to say it's okay because the culture says it's okay. But for a person that wants to be ruled and reigned by, by Christ, you're like, no. My culture is a Jesus culture. I'm part of the Jesus culture. And his kingdom is ruling and reigning. So I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, waving a flag of hate towards the culture. I'm waving a banner of love towards my king. I love God and I'm going to display that love. And it freaks the culture out. It freaks the culture out because they don't know how to respond to someone who is being governed and ruled and reigned by a kingdom that has no end. Because the culture is, well, don't you suppose, use your intellect, this is the way it's supposed to be. Or don't you feel this is the way it's supposed to be. And our faith says, no, this is the way it is. So that we're climbing, climbing, climbing. We're at 5,000 feet, you're at 7,000 feet, you're at 9,000 feet. You start seeing things a little differently, the bigger picture. And, 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 it's, and it's broad, and you're a part of it. So here we go, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. You guys are like, finally, you made it there, Pastor. I did. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. All right, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that the Son of Man, or I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, said unto Simon Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And uh, I also say to you that you are Peter or Petros, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I, I, I want to uh, address the, the apple cart first, because it's about to get dumped over, okay? 
And I, I need your permission to do this. And, and I'm going to participate with you. Have you ever been around someone that says, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I bind poverty. I, I bind sickness. I bind disease. Have you ever heard that phrase, that terminology, okay? This is where the origins of it come from. But the, the, the reality is we have authority, but binding and loosing has nothing to do with Satan, with poverty, with sickness, or disease. Now, we have authority over all the power of the enemy. You have authority when you and I are aligned with Christ, right, and submitted unto his lordship, then you have authority because you're under authority. Sickness and disease is something that we can pray for and we can believe God and healing is still part of the new covenant. Poverty is something that we're redeemed from so that we can bless, be blessed to be a blessing. And the primary way that happens is when you give, it's given back to you. And when you put your hand to something, God blesses it. Those are the ways in which God brings increase financially into your life. You work, you work heartily as unto the Lord. Also, you sow seed. When you sow seed, you're going to increase. You're going to be in a position to experience the blessing of the Lord. In order to resist the enemy, you must be submitted to God. Then in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the works of darkness. But the term binding and loosing here has been used inappropriately in that way. I'm not saying that people don't have authority over the devil or they have to live impoverished or they have to stay sick. Jesus addressed each and every one of those subject matters separately all through the Gospels. And it's written about through the book of Acts and into the letters of the church. But in this particular setting, that's not what Jesus is referring to at all. How many apple carts are now upset? You're not upset at me. Your apple cart is upset. In other words, your belief system, your theology. One of the hardest things to do as human beings is to admit something that we have believed to be a truth is no law is not a truth. And to relearn it as a truth. Are you guys ready? Because this is a substantial truth. And in it, you will understand where authority and where power and and where abilities come from and why they're so important. So let's, first of all, address this question. What's the primary subject matter here? The Lordship of Jesus. Can everyone agree with that? Who's Lord? Who people say that I am? I mean, what is what is going on? What is the common man saying about me? So who is Jesus? That's the subject matter. What are the keys then and what do they do? When Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. He said that before he ever referred to binding and loosing. What are, what are these keys to the kingdom? Well, you and I understand what keys are and what they do and what they allow us to do. First of all, a key gives you access. It gives me access. All right? It opens up a door. It opens up a door. Secondly, keys grant us authority. They grant us authority. And thirdly, keys are a source of insight and revelation. That's why Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. So when Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, to my rule and reign, to 
to my lordship, to my governance, to my oversight, to my control, to, to my jurisdiction, to my laws, to my ways, to my commandments being operative and functional in your life. The key to the kingdom is we have to give Jesus access. We have to give Jesus authority and we, and we have to understand that he gives us insight and, and revelation that apart from him, we're lost as a goose in that hailstone, in a, in a snowstorm or a hailstone or one of those storms. All right. So what did Jesus mean when he said binding and loosing? Because he was very specific here. So let's understand this first and foremost. This term is a legal term. And it was understood by the Jews because it was used by their governing body, which was the Sanhedrin at the time. So the Sanhedrin were a bunch of Jewish leaders. It was a governing body for the nation of Israel. They had final authority and they were those that were giving administrative jurisdiction or power over the letter of the law. So the Sanhedrin could be likened unto our Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. And they were given the responsibility to govern the laws of the land. And Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience about the the legal activity of their overseeing governance body. And he's bringing that to their attention in light of his kingdom, his lordship, his rule, and his reign. Binding and loosing. The Sanhedrin understood what the letter of the law said. And they would apply it accordingly. And according to the letter of the law or God's word, all men are guilty. And all men deserve to be condemned and judged accordingly. According to the letter of the law, we're all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, if the law was held up and then our conduct and activity was held up, we fall short. And the law is perfect, the law is holy, the law is righteous, and man is not. We fall short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The law is holy, it's glorious, it's perfect, it's irrefutable. Man is sinful and fallen and falls beneath the standard of the law. So Jesus is talking to Jews about the governance that they're under and what it created. It created guilt and condemnation and death. And that's where they were. And according to the law, that's where they deserve to be. The letter of the law says, this is what you merit. This is what you have earned. This is what your wages are for living a selfish and sinful life. Death. Separation. And Jesus is introducing something that's totally countercultural, totally mind blowing, totally different than their senses. 
And when he's asking this question, who do people say that I am? Elijah, one of the prophets, Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. At that moment, he said, you have insight. You have revelation. You have understanding. My father revealed this to you. And now you're no longer bound by the law. And you're no longer guilty because you've entered into my kingdom. And grace and truth is greater than the law. Binding and loosing really means this. If we continue to bind ourselves to the law, to obey the law, to keep the law apart from Christ, we will always fall short. We will always fall short of the Lordship of Jesus. He's not ruling and reigning. We're trying to earn our relationship with God. We're trying to merit our relationship with God. We're, we're trying to find an audience with God. And it, that can't be done under the law. Therefore, Jesus came to fulfill everything that was written in the law and the prophets. He was the only one qualified. So if we bind ourselves to the law, we're not free to receive and to welcome Jesus as the Lord of our life because we're bound to the law. We're obligated to the law. We owe a duty to the law. And Jesus was talking to the Jew and he says, the law has done nothing for you. The law was given not to make you holy. The law was given to show you how unholy you are. The law was not given to make you righteous, even though the law is righteous and holy. The law was given so that you could see how unrighteous you are. And you would see how bound you are. And you would see how restricted you are because of the law. And you would begin to open up your heart to the possibility that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you would be loosed from the law and you would enter into an eternal kingdom that has no end because if you allow the law to bind you, you're bound by the law. And if you allow the love of God and the kingdom of God to loose you, you're loosed. In the original text, it, 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 I know in, in our English translation, it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's not how it reads in the original language. It, it says, whatever God has not bound is not bound. Whatever God has not loosed is not loosed. It all originates with him. Otherwise, this text, if we look at it through our Western eyes, means that I'm in charge. Whatever I bind is bound. Whatever I loose is loose. That's not the original text at all. The original text, Jesus is talking to Jews about their law. And they're saying, you know, God gave you the law. And there's nothing wrong with God. But there's something wrong with man. And man now has become a lawbreaker. And I have to give you the law to show you you're a lawbreaker. And that you fall short of my lordship, and you can never enter into the joy of the Lord if you're under the law, because the law is going to crush you and kill you. It's going to condemn you and cause you to feel greasy and dirty and slimy and, and pathetic. But that's not why I came. I came to get the law off your back. I'll put it on my back. I'll fulfill it. And all you have to do is acknowledge that I am the Lord, 
And then all things become new, and you're under a new law, the law of my kingdom. Now, what does that mean? So that we'll get some of our apple carts straightened back up, and then I'm going to finish. It means if I'm under his lordship, think about it. Where is Satan? He's under my feet. Not because of me, not because I was great and I was a law keeper and I was righteous and I was holy. But because I did one thing, I acknowledged, no, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And I give you permission to be that in my life. I want your rule and reign because me being in charge hasn't worked out real good. And me being conformed to the culture hasn't really brought much positive and me being governed by my senses has just caught me in trouble but your lordship you're part of a kingdom that has no end i mean your ways are eternal and they're true and they're right and you have by your loving nature given me the power of choice i can live under the law and be bound Or I can come out from under the law and be loosed and live in liberty. Because you have restricted and you have permitted certain things. And you have given me choice. The book of Deuteronomy puts it this way. God speaking to his people. I set a record against you. Heaven and earth take note. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you may live. When you choose Jesus Christ, you choose life. The alternative is you get crushed by the law. It just crushes you. I try to obey the speed limit. Jim and I went yesterday on a road trip. And I do my best. But here's my philosophy. And it's just, once again, shows how messed up we are in our thinking. How messed up I am in my thinking. I'll just go with the flow. I know what the speed limit is. But, you know, it's 70 in this particular area, but people are going 75. What, what have I just become? I'm a lawbreaker. But what did I do? I justified it. Everybody else is doing it. The whole culture's doing it. Come on, the whole culture's doing it. Everybody else is going 75. Why'd they pull me over? These are the the parallels that we have to start considering, right? Did I still go with the flow? Absolutely. It just shows me just how much more of Jesus I need. I didn't pass a lot of people. I didn't cause any accidents. See how we do things? I I didn't hurt anybody. didn't hurt anybody. It was hurting you. It was killing you. It was burying you. It was deceiving you. It was deceiving me. It was hurting me. It was hampering me. Because why? Whatever I permit in my life, God has to permit. Whatever I don't permit, God already has restricted and said, I won't permit it. What he's saying here is you have choices. You can bind things or loose things in your life. You can be bound and restricted and under the law, and you can live a very legalistic life, and you can think your self-righteousness is really pretty before God. 
Or you can lose your self-righteousness and gain his righteousness and you'll really be pretty before God. I just put choices before you. Peter, you made the right choice. Other people hadn't figured it out yet. I'm not Elijah. I'm not one of the prophets. I am Christ, the son of the living God. That was revealed to you. Blessed are you. And this is the revelation and this is the truth that the whole kingdom and the whole church and the whole purpose of God will be built upon is. Every, everybody has to understand the big picture is Jesus is Lord, exclamation point. Now, the individual aspect of that is how much of the lordship of Jesus will I allow to be in my life? Can I meddle just for a minute? Yeah. I, we're not very good at, 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 uh, at fixing other people, but we, we like to endeavor to fix other people, try to fix other people. But what if people were introduced to the lordship of Jesus and Jesus worked on fixing them? What if we help people to become more connected to Jesus? We at times uh, say things to the Lord like, you know, I would give and honor you with, with tithes and offerings, but, you know, uh, I, I, have, uh, I have all these bills to pay. And the Lord is like, whatever you bind is bound, whatever you loose is loose. If you bind yourself to your credit card, you're bound to your credit card. If you loose yourself from your credit card and get under my lordship, you'll be loosed and experience my blessing. Some people said, I can't afford to give. Here's the reality. I can't afford not to give. Because it's giving, but giving to the wrong thing or purchasing or purchasing the wrong thing that got me all bound up. Now I'm bound. Here's, here's another way to say it for everyone who understands legal jargon. Have you ever heard the phrase, this is a binding contract? That's what exactly Jesus is saying to you. If you bind yourself to your doubt and unbelief, if you bind yourself to the culture, if you bind yourself to your senses, you're going to be bound. You bind yourself to the law. You bind yourself to debt. You bind yourself to strife. You bind yourself to unforgiveness. You're bound by that. You're going to live in prison. But if you allow my lordship into your life, you're going to be loosed from debt. You're going to be loosed from fear. You're going to be loosed from bondage. You're going to be loosed. And you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. So we're almost got all our apple cart back together. You ready? Well, that means Satan's under our feet. You're exactly right, Lindy. That's where he is. Why? Not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. Jesus, your Lord, period. Exclamation point. Double exclamation point. Triple exclamation point. And I'm loosed. I'm loosed to live for you. I'm, I, I can live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, I'm not under the law. I can't, I can't keep the law. I'm a lawbreaker. But I'm a believer in Jesus. The life giver helps this lawbreaker, frees this lawbreaker, forgives this lawbreaker, loves this lawbreaker, helps this lawbreaker, strengthens this lawbreaker, is patient with this lawbreaker. See, the letter of the law sucks. Let's be real. The spirit of the law, that's what Jesus brought. The spirit of the law is this. God Loves all you lawbreakers. <laughs> I love it. God loves all you lawbreakers. Quit permitting yourself to be this way. And allow me to be the Lord of your life. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641 641- 641 
828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.